Hi there, Happy New Year, wishing you a healthy, happy and successful 2022. I am Dennis and this is Chief Ali, a show about Sheffield startups. I'm glad to be back with another episode because there's so much coming in the next couple of months as Sheffield startup ecosystem is more eventful and livelier than ever. And it is a gift but also responsibility to be in the mix and to be working for its development. 2021 finished very strong, along with my great team of co-organizers we hosted a successful startup weekend supported by a number of great organizations in our city and are now looking forward to another edition which will probably happen in the end of April or beginning of May, the date is yet to be finalized. But more importantly Transform SY, the accelerator that I'm now working on for since October, commenced last week. 10th of January was the official starting date and we started with 18 businesses on the first cohort. The cohort itself consists of organizations varying in size and industry. We have EdTech, FoodTech, Manufacturing, Property, Tech for Good, we have businesses from pre-revenue stage to businesses that have offices abroad. You can learn more about our cohort from our latest newsletter, a link for which I will add in the show's notes. Or subscribe to Transform SY social channels as there will be a lot of content for our entrepreneurs. Each and every one of them will also get an invitation for Sheep Valley, so hopefully you get to hear more from them all. Another important newsworthy event is the return of the Sheffield Startup Meetup Group. Now some of you might be confused as the Startup Meet of Sheffield has now been going on for a while, but this is slightly different. There was a Sheffield Startup Group on the meetup.com website that had around 700 members. However, the group was inactive for the last about a year and a half to two years because of the pandemic and other factors. Now I've officially taken over as the organizer slash owner of that group and will rejuvenate it. I'll leave the link for the group in the show's notes too so you can join it. Last but not least, in regards to Sheffield, the already mentioned startup meetup is coming next week on Tuesday, the 25th of January, Sheffield Technology Parks at 6 pm, the usual time that we get together. Make sure to come if you're available. There's always very productive discussions and outcomes from those meetings. I will leave that link in the show's notes as well. Now, to quickly shift the focus to the world. We have some interesting insights coming from Madeira, a small town in Portugal that have established itself as the place to be for digital nomads. First set up in February 2021, Madeira offers free co-working space and access to a rich Slack group and tons of organized sports and community activities for its citizens. Madeira and the surrounding villages of the island have been a place of residence for more than 4,600 remote workers already. The workers start their day with yoga or dog walking meetups, then proceed to work from any of the co-working spaces in the town. After finishing there is enough time for cardio on the beach as the sun only sets around 6pm and the night is always jam-packed with storytelling games, dance lessons or practical sessions on digital nomad visas and more. What's more interesting is the diversity that the island encapsulates. There are people from 108 countries ranging between 18 and 80 years of age. The influx of curious, digitally savvy people with purchasing power also helped the local economy, making Madeira more interesting for the locals to stay and do business there rather than seek success in Lisbon or any of the other big cities in Portugal. So if you're a remote worker and looking to spend a week or a month somewhere abroad, Madeira might be your best option. Now we move on to the main event of today's episode, my conversation with David White, founder of Paper Mill. What is Paper Mill? Why did David set it up? And what is he looking to achieve? All of that and more in the next 40 or so minutes. Enjoy! My guest today is David White, founder of Paper Mill. Hi Dave, how are you? Um, I'm very good, thanks Dennis, how are you? 
not too bad. As I was just telling you that I actually got COVID last week, but I'm feeling well. I haven't had any any health issues, and I'm really looking forward to talking with you because obviously we've been we've known each other for a while now. We've spoken about you coming on the podcast, but we were waiting for something something significant to happen with Paper Mill, and now it's happened. And uh, I'm just curious to learn more about about what happened and also about Paper Mill overall and more about you as an entrepreneur. Okay, that sounds great. I'm I'm glad that you're you're feeling okay with the COVID. But be careful, man. You know, it's it's not a nice thing, but you do look you look well and you sound well. So I'm glad to hear that. Absolutely. Well, I want to jump onto the first question, mate, because I'm really I'm really curious to learn first of all about you prior to paper mill. Again, we've known each other for a while now, but we've never actually spoken about what you were doing before starting this company. Yeah, do you want my life story? I mean, that's quite that's quite a broad question, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, well, life story. We might not have enough time for your whole life story, but just if you can take us through a couple of bullet points, maybe what you find important, maybe some things that kind of shaped you to the moment when you started Paper Mill. Okay, okay. Well, um, I studied. I'm a nerd. I studied computer science at the University of York, so I've lived in York quite a bit. It's a lovely place, and it was a really good course. And then I worked in industry a bit after my degree in Manchester, which is where I'm from. And then I went traveling and kind of said, you know, what am I going to do in my life? And I wanted to make the world a bit better, you know, have a positive impact on the world. And I thought, well, I love learning. I love writing. I'll go and do a PhD and then I'll become a lecturer and I'll teach people. And then I'll influence all these students who will go out into the world. And then I'll be able to claim the credit for the great work they do or part of the credit. So I ended up spending about 10 years in academia. I lived in Glasgow. I lived in London, worked at the universities there. And then an opportunity came to uh, work part-time in Sheffield. And that would be, um, that was going to be in quantum computing, which was an area I was really interested in. I'd always wanted to work in. And I, and I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to start a business. Uh, so I'd work part-time at the university and then do, you know, maybe build an app. I had some ideas at the time that came from my work in academia. And I, I come from an entrepreneurial background as well. So that was that was always there. I always thought this was something I'd do at some point. But I had a really keen experience when I was thinking about this the other day. Um, when I lived in Glasgow, I was working at the university there. But in my spare time, I was also making films and making artwork. And I'd work with artists to build stuff, especially if they had a lot of tech in. I'd help them with the tech. And there was one particular project where I was working in this team with an artist called Adam Scarborough, and we were working together on this installation. And I just remember I really, really enjoyed it. I just became very aware of how much I enjoyed working in a creative team to build something and put it out there and, and build something for people that would hopefully improve their lives in, in some small way. And, and I kind of, I always remember that moment and I just thought, there's probably something there and I need to, I need to explore that later. And the other thing that came out of that experience was the size of the gap between the world that we live in and the world that's possible. And I mean that um, like in terms of tech as well as more generally. So, you know, technology has progressed so much and there's so much that's now possible. And I, and I think that while technology has transformed people's lives in many good ways, and obviously it has its downsides as well and it's had negative impacts, but I just feel more generally that there's so much more we could be doing with tech. And I got quite excited about that when you put some creative people together and, and, and then you start working on, well, let's just start, take a step back and think what's possible here. That, that was always in my mind. So then when I started getting involved in startups more over the last few years, that's, that finally 
made me realize that this is where I needed to be. This was that feeling that I had when I was working in Glasgow. That is very much the essence of startups. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're looking to apply creativity in the business world, I'd say that startups is the is the best place to do that because obviously I'm not sure the companies that you've worked for for before, but I've now been part of uh, of a really large organization and there was no room for creativity really. I just I had to follow had to follow rules, had to execute, get my get my work done, but that was it really. And then now I'm part of a, of a small company. And there's so much more room for me to be to really be innovative and uh, bring new solutions and really channel my creativity. So I can see why, uh, based on all your previous experiences and what you wanted to do, how you got into startups. And now moving on to your startup, Papermill. Can you tell us more about Papermill? Why did you decide to start it? You said that it was kind of influenced by your experience in university. But just tell us more about the why and also what really is Papermill? Okay, I think I might switch those questions around and start with the, the what. I think it might make, make it easier. So if you've ever written a document, maybe for work, you've used something like Word or Google Docs, um, or perhaps for your studies if you're a student, and you've been really frustrated by something, perhaps it's tables moving around or images not staying where you want them to stay, or your references don't work, or the styling's wrong, there's a random gap somewhere, and you're just banging your head against the wall and you want to throw your laptop out the window, well, that is the problem that Papermill is trying to solve. So it's a drop-in replacement for Word or Google Docs for very uh, specific types of documents, what I call formal or structured documents like reports, contracts, dissertations, things like that. So that's what Papermill is. We're currently, we're currently at the point where we have a prototype and, and, and things work and, it, and it's great, but um, it's still quite a long way off, uh, a really polished product. And We've just raised funding, as you hinted at at the beginning, from Twinkle Hive here in Sheffield. And we've raised that funding so we can build a team to, to really develop the idea and produce something that's much more polished. So, so that's what we're doing. Why did we end up here? Well, besides the journey that I mentioned before and wanting that experience of creating something in a group, that, something that everyone could be proud of, I'm just really passionate about the way that software is, I'm really passionate about that gap and how much better it could be if, if software was produced in a more user-centered, uh, design-led manner. And, you know, writing is just so important, right? It's central to being a human. You know, writing is thinking and whether it's like journaling or your dissertation or other parts of uh, your work, say a lot of organizations are based around documents, for example, but the tools that we use are actually mostly awful. So this just seemed like a really high impact area where we could make people's lives um, a lot better. But it's also just a fascinating design challenge. How did we get to that problem in the first place? Well, I kind of started from problems in academia and then talked to an enormous amount of people, did a lot of market research and kind of pivoted. And this problem came out of another problem we were trying to solve, which is really common in startups. You know, you, you set off to go somewhere and you end up you end up taking another fork in the road. You end up in a slightly different destination than you imagined, but perhaps one that's more important. Now, you mentioned that other word processors are awful. And I would agree with you to some extent. I mean, I've, ha I've had my fair share of difficulties. Word, I, I don't even use Word on my, on my personal computer because I don't, I don't seem the the value to be paying for an individual Microsoft Word, uh, I mean, Microsoft Office account. Uh, and Google Docs is is easy, but again, I've, I've never really tried to do anything more sophisticated with it rather than, than just write text while you obviously stated that 
paper mill is more intended at people looking to write dissertations and other more formal documents. Mm -hmm. But the, the fact is that Microsoft Word is the, is the most used uh, word processor in, in, the, yeah. in the world. There's a valid reason for that. It's part of the MS Office. It's, it's interconnected with all of their applications. It's really easy uh, to use it. And again, just to the interoperability, I would say is, is what makes those uh, Microsoft apps more valuable than they would be on their own. But tell me, right. tell me what's the competitive advantage of PaperMill above, above those other services like Google Docs, Microsoft Word, and all, and, all, and all other word processors currently out there? What's my competitive advantage? Well, that's that's a bit of a trade secret in a way, Dennis. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to tell you that. But personally, I have a lot of experience um, with the problem, particularly with this formal document problem. So I'm a problem holder. The design-led aspect of it is advantageous. I guess we don't have those legacy issues that people like Google and Microsoft have now because they, they've gone down a certain path and they're kind of trapped in it. And to some extent, you know, Microsoft particularly have to, to maintain backwards compatibility. Whereas we've got this opportunity to sort of reimagine how things could work. So, you know, if you're writing documents and that's usually collectively, right, online, you know, in the year 2021, how would you have built that system? And how, how would you allow people to interact? And, and how would the document actually be composed? And that the answers there could be very different from the answers in the 90s or the noughties, right? So we do have those advantages. But most of all, I think I really want to build a team of very creative and independently minded people who want to do something quite different. And as you said, we're, we're looking at niches like a lot of startups do. So we're looking at very specific applications that perhaps companies like Microsoft and Google are not going to be so interested in or not able to cater right to because they're they're building a very very large mass market product you know like you say word is absolutely fine for for certain tasks it's just when you start doing things that are a bit more serious that it really begins to frustrate you i think it's very frustrating right i think that's the that's the feeling a lot of people describe when they use these products yeah and i know because we, we did one together but i know that you used customer interviews for validation. So I'm just curious, the question that I sent you was, how did you validate, which I technically just answered on your behalf, but could you just, <laughs> could you just tell me a little bit more about those customer interviews that you conducted? Because I believe that I've, I've said it before, customer interviews are something vital for, for any person that wants to build a startup. So could you just take us through, you know, from the moment you decided to do them to how did you find people to do them? What did you do? And what are the most interesting insights that you found from them? Hmm. Yeah, talking to people, it's very important, right? And it's it's yeah. something that as a nerd, like we te nerds tend not to want to do it. That's that's something I learned about validation. So I, I guess I made the classic mistake of trying to build as well. So my advice to any early stage uh, startup founder now is, first of all, read the mom test, which I think has been recommended on your podcast quite a lot, but, but also just go and talk to people. And if you're building stuff, you probably don't need to be doing that, right? You know, it, it's very, very unlikely that you're doing too much talking to people and it's very, very likely that you're spending too much time worrying about the product you're building. So um, essentially talking to people as much as possible and not building things. And there's a lot, a lot said about MVPs in the startup world. With a lean startup, get to an MVP and then iterate, get something out there. And actually, I think prototyping and the prototyping tools now are so much better than they used to be that maybe that advice isn't actually as good now. So in terms of validation, 
I would focus more on prototyping because that allows you to put things in front of people really, really quickly. And you don't get some of the signals that you might get with a launched MVP, but you can test things which are really out there. You know, once you get into an MVP and you start going down the development road, you're very constrained. So validation for me is all about talking to people and also about prototyping. How did I find the people? Well, if you've got a problem, you've usually got a problem holder. You can look at the general characteristics of that problem holder, like what do they do? Why do they care about this? Why is it annoying them? And then you can go and find more people like that through LinkedIn, for example, if you want to talk to, I don't know, park keepers in the UK, you can go and find other people who uh, look after parks in other cities on LinkedIn and you can go and message them and say, do you have this problem? And not to try to sell anything, but just ask people for their help and ask them for their advice. And I've just found that, you know, human beings, we naturally want to help each other, right? So if you, if you contact someone and say, can you give me your opinion or your advice or just share your experience? People are more than happy to do that. And once you've talked to one or two people at the end of that conversation, you can kind of say, well, you've been so helpful, but could I be cheeky and ask, is there anyone else you know who would be really interested in this? And it, it kind of snowballs from there. So yeah, validation, mostly by talking to people. Don't uh, I don't really believe in questionnaires. I don't believe in that sort of anonymous research. I really believe in the qualitative deep dive you know, preferably face-to-face, although it's not always possible in COVID times, conversations. So I've just had, I've had more conversations than I can remember. And that's taken me through several pivots where I've not had to build very extensive products in order to learn I was wrong. And that's really what you're trying to do, isn't it? You're trying to test your hypotheses and your assumptions and work out where you've gone wrong. What what have you got wrong and, and how do you course correct? And and then hopefully pull things from the market, from people by talking to them and find the problems that matter the most, right? Because you have limited resources and you want to help the world as much as possible. So you need to focus on the most pressing problems. Yeah, absolutely. I think I agree with everything you said. And especially what's very important is what you said about questionnaires. Now, I've spoken with this with, with with a previous guest on my podcast, and this is exactly what what he mentioned uh, i mean tom you know tom from midas and yeah, yeah. We, we were talking about questionnaires and how questionnaires are nice but they're not good they're not really a tool you should use to validate your startup because as you said in the end of the day it comes down to what are you going to spend your time on because when you're 19 20 21 it's easy to pick a really shitty idea and to decide to build it even to even to build it to to, to a state where it's a it's a product because Maybe you wasted that time, but you've learned a very valuable lesson. But after a certain period in your life, you need to be very careful with your time because we have a limited amount of it and and we, we can just form press onto things that we shouldn't really be working on. And questionnaires are not going to give us that, that valuable information, but customer interviews, well-conducted customer interviews are a tool that can help us to really decide what's the right thing to work on. So I think you're spot on on that one. Uh, and I mean, it's it's proven by the fact that also you're you got an investment after you've figured out the product that you're so, that you're solving. I want to move on to market strategy. So obviously, you you said that you're still in the kind of in the pilot phase. You've received an investment now. You're looking to build a team. Is paper mill going to be a B two B business? Is it going to be B two C business? Can I purchase paper mill? Can I rent it? Can I use it for free? How how are things going to look? Can you share any of the non-sensitive details with us. I can show the non-sensitive ones. I think I saw in the message something about what's your go-to-market strategy. And I was thinking, I'm not telling you, Dennis. It's a secret. 
you're gonna have to come and work with us if you want to know it but um but about the more sensitive stuff you know i think i've already emphasized how important i think it is to work closely with users and be user driven and, and that will influence everything we do um about the things you've just mentioned it will be online like google docs like and in, in that people will be able to access it online it'll be SaaS. it will have probably a premium model where people will be paying a subscription. I was saying probably, I mean, it will. Beyond that, you'll have to come and work with us really to, to, to learn more. That's not a great answer, is it? Were, were there other things you wanted to know? Oh, well, I guess I was interested in, in the way that you've been looking at the, at the product. And moreover, I'm interested whether you're looking to build a business around paper mill or whether you're looking at paper mill as just one of the products that you're going to build where, for example, me as a user, I'd, I'd go to paper mill and I'd have a plethora of, of tools to pick from, or you're looking to, to, to really make this the make or break tool. Yep. Yeah, and we're following the usual process of startups of targeting a niche. So that is, you know, you look for something quite specialized that maybe other competitors wouldn't be interested in and you just serve that niche really well. And then if you do that really well, then perhaps you consider broadening out from that niche. So that's the, the sort of general approach we'll be taking. Absolutely. And you say that you're looking to build a team with the investment. So I'm curious to hear what are the first positions that you're going to be hiring for? Oh, thanks, Hess. Well, that, we didn't discuss that before. So thanks for asking. Yeah, we are hiring and we'll be hiring really, really soon. So we'll be looking to make our first hires in January. What we're looking for uh, right now are people around the UX and UI space. So as I've said, we're really user-centered and design-led. So we want to work with UX and UI designers in Sheffield. So if you're listening to this and you want a new challenge or, or you think you've got some original ideas and, and different takes on, on the way the software is and you, you agree it could be a lot better, you agree that there is a big gap there and maybe the user's not being as well-served as they could be, then, yeah, get in touch. I will, maybe I'll give you my email or we'll put something out I could link your, your LinkedIn profile in the show's notes and I could even put your email so people that, people that are listening and are interested could just go to the show's notes and find your profile there. That would be great. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. And mentioning the investments, we've spoken before again about investment in Sheffield and so just funding for startups in, in our city. And it's great to see you getting that. Obviously, Twinkle Hive there. They're already doing quite a lot. They're, they're not investing only in Sheffield-based businesses, but they have invested in, in quite a lot of them, I believe. Yeah. There are other businesses that are currently in, other founders uh, who are currently in your position. They are they're looking for investment. Can you maybe give a couple of points of advice on how to make yourself more investable and how to approach that situation? And I, I think it's also quite important to understand why did you need an investment in the first place? In terms of uh, advice on how to raise investment, it's really about, first of all, I'd say choosing the path that you want to take, whether you're bootstrapping that is sort of self-funding and, and perhaps getting early revenue and using that to build a business versus going down a VC route or, or an angel route. And they are, they are different because in the first case, you really want to get to market and just it's, it's business model and it's income. And that's really the goal. And then in the other case, actually, you might be doing something which has slightly different characteristics and you want to look at what the investors will need to see in order to back you. So it depends on the company, but that could be traction. It could be seeing an MVP um, or a prototype. It could be 
could be a pitch deck, it could be about the team that you've got and you're building your experience, you might need to go and get some experience somewhere. So I think the best way to approach that is actually almost to work backwards from having conversations with investors and we say, well, I've got, I've got this idea. I think, you know, it, it, it's looking pretty promising. This is the evidence we have so far. What would we need to get from you to, to, to raise money with you? You know, what, what kind of reassurances do you need? What evidence do I need to provide you that this idea will really work? And if it's very technical, they might say, well, I, I, need, I need to see a demo that proves some of the technical problems are solvable, you know, or if it's a two-sided market problem, you know, they might be care more about traction or something like that. So I think if, if you're trying to raise investment, it's really being focused on providing that evidence to the investor so that they're convinced that you're going to be able to deliver with, well, there's a good probability that you're going to be able to deliver. I mean, there's always a lot of luck involved and there's always chance and unknowns, but it's providing that solid evidence. So that's why I would say kind of work back from the investment, but also do you really need it? Paper mill, as I said, we, we did need it. And if you do need it, that really helps constrain what you do so it helps guide your business what has been the biggest challenge to you so far wow there's so many challenges <laughs> the biggest of many um well i think you know tom oates came onto the podcast a couple of times from midas and he said the juggle is the struggle and i think tom has a lot of juggling to do but it is very very difficult to work on things part-time especially if you're a full-time job it's even harder there were times when i essentially had sort of free jobs and paper mill to try and progress. And that, that's a really difficult problem. And I think we need more support for aspiring entrepreneurs in that sense. You can either be working sort of part-time and doing the business, and you can be raising funds and doing it full-time. And the gap between those two things is quite large. It's a really large step. And Twinkle have got, uh, Twinkle Hive have got a scholarship scheme for younger people. And that's fantastic in this regard. And I, and I do wonder how we solve that problem for older people. I mean, you know, it, maybe if you're in tech and you're working for some big corp, you can put money in the bank and then you can quit later on and take a pay cut. But that wasn't the case for me. I, I was reasonably paid in academia. But, you know, for many people, they, they don't have that kind of financial backing. So it's really difficult. So I, I think trying to manage things. And if you, let's say you spend two days a week on your startup and you think, well, does that mean I'm going to be 40% as productive as full-time? And the answer is no, because you're going to have to change. You're going to be distracted. You can have this context switch and this overhead that comes with it. So it is very, very difficult. I think that's probably the hardest, hardest challenge. And just having that tenacity to keep going, you know, even when progress is slow, it's like slow is better than stop. Yeah, true. And I mean, again, I'm 23. And to me, thinking about leaving my job and just focusing on something that's that's full of uncertainty because that's a very I, I i like that i like something that i read in a book that startups are not about risk they're about uncertainty because mm. there's a big difference between the two uncertainty is literally not knowing what might happen while risk is just risking something that might go good or bad but with uncertainty it might not go at all <laughs> yeah yeah there's and, a lot of times yeah yeah, exactly. And uh, that uncertainty is, is very troubling. And I completely understand what you mean. The Sheffield Startup Ecosystem, again, a topic that we've discussed with you numerous times. We both, we, we both crave a strong community and a more connected ecosystem. Yeah. So I want to hear from you, what role has the Sheffield Startup Ecosystem played in your journey as an entrepreneur? I think we could do a podcast on that. I think we could go to a pub and we could probably do a whole box set. Yeah, well, 
focusing on this question, the ecosystem has been absolutely instrumental, really. It's been a big part of the journey. So I arrived in Sheffield in 2018, I think it was, a few years ago. And I went to a film event, because I think I mentioned earlier, I was into making films. And I wanted to see what was going on in Sheffield's film community. And someone told me about the Cooper Project, which was run out of Sheffield Tech Parks, which is sort of an informal incubator. It's a bit more formal now, but at the time it was just starting. And the next morning I went to Geek Brekkie at Tampa Coffee, which is hosted by Chris Diamond. And, and Mel was there also from both of the from Sheffield Digital. And Mel actually took me to Tech Parks after the coffee and said, right, this is the Cooper buildings and introduced me to Tom Wolfenden there. Tom has been incredibly supportive. And I think a lot of businesses in Sheffield will say the same thing. Tom's just been absolutely amazing uh, for me. And through Tom, I met uh, Business Sheffield. I, I, I met some people from Business Sheffield. I went to some of their seminars. People like Natalie and Andy, they, they were really helpful. And through them, I was also introduced to my business advisor, uh, Morgan Killick, who has been absolutely like unbelievable. Morgan has just been like this incredible support all the way through. His advice has been invaluable. So yeah, the ecosystem has has played a big part. I'm really grateful um, for all the support they have. So if they're listening, thank you. And there's a lot of other people I could mention, um, people like Rose at Tech Parks who, who came along a bit later and a lot of other people at Business Sheffield and other things. But I'll, I'll apologize for anyone I've not mentioned there. But yeah, yeah, the, the startup ecosystem has been important. It's interesting. We can talk a lot about what's missing. And I think you, you would always say funding perhaps is the, is the big gap. I think that's the one that you, you talk about a lot. Isn't that right? Yeah. I mean, funding is one of the fundamentals. But honestly, I've, I've changed my opinion a little bit around that topic and uh, around what's missing in the last two or three months. So what do you think is uh, important now? I think that's from what I've noticed in the last few months, I would, um, the biggest problem is lack of proactiveness. Mm, okay, that's interesting. I'll give you an example. And I've spoken with that with a couple of other people as well. For the last startup meetup that we had in November, and you know my opinion about startup meetups, to me, this is one of the very important events yeah. and cornerstones of a successful ecosystem just to have time when people with similar interests who work in the same same area and are having the same challenges can get together first of all to, to establish contact between each other to establish potential routes for collaboration uh, right. and uh, also to just know each other because knowing each other is what leads to to working together really you can't work with someone if you don't know them in the end of the day and you know, the meetups have particularly helped me immensely because I found my job through people that I met at startup meetup, all of the startup weekend sponsors. I've, I, I mean, okay, not all of them, but I met some of the startup weekend sponsors to startup weekend. I've, I've, I have contacts that are now kind of flourishing into, into friendships with mm. people that I've met at startup meetup. And I remember the last one, which, which organized in November, I was asked on the Sheffield Digital Slack channel. Yeah, I was asked there by a person, I, I quote, I always wondered how many people actually turned up to these meetups. I told, <laughs> I told that person, yeah, there were 20, 26 in, in September, 22 in October. And I also added, but there would be a lot more if people turned up rather than wondering how many turned up. <laughs> and I, saw, so, I, saw, I did see that reply. It did make me chuckle. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I, stand, I stand by every word of it because I do, I do feel that a lot of people see these events 
and they just assume that these no one no one goes to these events they're just like i don't know how many people go i don't know whether it's going to be worth it well it is worth it but what's more important is that what makes this event worth it are the people that go there this is not the, the meetup is not an event which i organize just so i can do a presentation in front of everyone about about whatever i want no it's it's really about networking it's really about giving the giving an open forum to everyone to share whatever they want about their startups and so to me it really comes down to proactiveness really how how willing are the people that are already part of the ecosystem willing to to participate in it how willing are they to join startup meetups how willing are they to to be part of online communities how willing are they to be part of mentorship schemes and so on and so forth so i've i've kind of changed my opinion yes funding funding is lacking absolutely but at the same time from a lot of people that have spoken in the last few months funding is not going to be missing if there is the critical base of fundable startups in the region yeah yeah well i'm really glad that you mentioned the startup meetup because this is an opportunity to thank you for doing that on behalf of everyone in sheffield and the ecosystem and you know that's a fantastic event it, you know it's part of the core structure of the ecosystem isn't it really where where people can go and check in and see each other and like you said it's Startups are just people working together. I mean, it's it's not there's no secret sauce to it. Most of the time, it is just people and time, right? That's that's what what it takes to build a business, especially in in with you know the current tech landscape where we have cloud computing and we don't have to have great capital investment for a lot of tech startups. Yep. And also, thank you for for doing the podcast. I should say. But going back to what you said, yeah, I I was never really worried about the funding because all it takes to fix the fix the funding problem is a few people coming in and deciding to to invest like you say in the startups will attract the investment we've obviously got twinkle hive there's a lot of other people getting in, involved now there's people like i think tripad are going to do something similar there's aop there's bulldozer at razor there are angels and there's, there's the mandashi fund which is run by someone i know that's been investing so you know it only takes a few individuals to fix that problem and they are fixing it and we'll, we have to be really grateful and I'm really appreciative of, of what those people are doing for the ecosystem. Um, and I, I think you're right that the wider problem of pe- the involvement of people and having the skills base and having the enthusiasm to do it, that, that is much more difficult to solve, right? I think I have quite a slightly different view of things from you. I, I think maybe some of the proactiveness that you're talking about might actually relate to ambition. I don't think, I think people in... You know, smaller cities perhaps don't necessarily think, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to go and start a startup, right? You know, it tends to be, maybe people think, well, that's what happens to people in London who've just come out of Imperial College. That's not what happens to people who've just come out of the University of Sheffield. But of course, that's absolute nonsense, right? The courses are like very comparable and, and there's no reason why that, that can't happen here. In terms of people, people being more widely proactive, it's about momentum and leadership, right? And there's people like you standing up and, and leading, that's great. And I think what's very important is that everyone turns around and helps people just behind them in the process. So I'm trying to do that. I've certainly had lots of help from people just ahead of me um, who've been there before and they've given me advice. We do need leadership. And, you know, I obviously I'm uh, slightly biased, but to, to talk about people like uh, John and David, the investment directors at Twinkle Hive, but they have been really supportive and what they're doing is amazing. You know, they, they're really, their actions as well as their words are really admirable and we need more people like that at all stages to turn around and help those behind them. And, and I think together we can lift each other up because we are bootstrapping an ecosystem, right? There's no way around it and it's not easy. 
absolutely and uh, the the size of the city is not a size of a small of a small city there i i always give copenhagen as an example copenhagen is smaller than than sheffield but it's amongst the top 30 or at least top 50 of startup ecosystems based on the startup genome ranking so it is absolutely doable it's just i i guess you're right by the way i, I guess it does come down to ambition and it does come down to people realizing that it is possible. I'm sure that it's not about skills because there's ridiculous businesses in the city and people with, with ridiculous expertise. I've, I've seen that myself now that I've started to meet more people and expand my network. So you, I think you're right. We are bootstrapping a, an ecosystem and uh, sooner or later, the results are gonna get better and better. Yeah, we have, we have some examples of the fact that it's possible, right? I mean, more, more exactly. recent examples, we have startups like uh, Tutiful. Exactly. And Mina, you know, just to, just to name two. You know, so it is possible. I think, I think there is more of a talent pool problem than, than you made out there. I think we need more of the university graduates to stick around after graduation and a bit yeah. longer. Yeah. I think the university perhaps needs to, we need to somehow find a way to funnel more of that talent into Sheffield companies uh, and, and retain it rather than people leaving to go elsewhere but again it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem and I think that the answer to that is leadership and, and standing up and, and the people who are success stories saying yes this is possible and I will help you yeah right. yeah and by the way I do agree with you in terms of talent I mean I was not supposed to stay in Sheffield after I graduate I was I had a, I had a job lined up in London I mean in Egham which is next to London so this is a prime example and I did love Sheffield even when I was a student here my you know, I didn't just decide to stay in Sheffield after, well, I did decide to stay in Sheffield after I lost my job, technically, but uh, it was something that I was considering, but the opportunities in front of me were just not as big as they were, they were in London. So there is a bit of a talent gap as well, I guess. Yeah, that, that worries me a little bit. That, that is something that I have to watch, you know, trying to build startup. It depends, depends on the speed of growth that we experience, but, you know, I'm hiring now. So the question is, are there enough sort of ambitious people who want to, to come and do really, truly great work, you know, that they can be very proud of and, and help build this in Sheffield? So we'll see. We'll see. But, you know, like you say, the talent pool is definitely smaller than it is in other cities. But it is, it's, once we get that flywheel going, then more people will stay and more people stay. There, are, there will be more startups that come out of other businesses. David, shall we move on to the five questions that I ask all of my guests at the end? Yeah, sure. So you already recommended the, the mom test. You, you were right. It's been recommended on the podcast. Is there any other book that you want to recommend or maybe even a podcast or, or anything else? Oh, I've listened to nearly all of your podcasts and I agree with the recommendations that have been on there. I think they, they cover pretty much everything I'd say. Recently, I actually published a blog post about books for startup founders to read. So maybe I can get you to put that in the show notes or something, and that can be my contribution to that question. In terms of podcasts, besides this one, obviously, I would recommend Startups for the Rest of Us with Rob Walling, which is more bootstrap-focused or small, small funding-focused, like maybe angel funding. And Rob is just an absolute legend. His advice is brilliant, especially if you're doing SaaS. It's just essential listening. Gotcha. Next question is about the name. Why did you choose the name Paper Mill? Don't you like it? <laughs> I mean, I do, but I'm just curious to, <laughs> to listen to your reasons. I'm just, 
messing with you. Yeah, well, I think that there are plenty of tech names that I don't like, which are, you know, when people take vowels out of words and <laughs> make stuff sound very corporate or very techy. And I just think that Papermill is quite a human name. I wanted to make technology, you know, that is person-centered. On top of that, I know that in Sheffield, we have this works idea of everything works, of Sheffield works, you know, we can have Hope Works, the, the venue and all that kind of thing. But I like mills, you know, I'm from, I'm from near Manchester, where there are lots of cotton mills. I'm from actually a village where the, there were lots of factories and mills there. And yeah, I, I just guess I relate to that. So yeah, it's just, it's just quite a nice, relatable name, I think. I agree. Now on to the next question about a place in Sheffield. What's, what's one place in Sheffield that you would recommend to the listeners of this podcast to visit? Oh man, there are so many, so, so many. I could write a guidebook, I think, now on Sheffield. I haven't been here for a few years. Has anyone said Depot Bakery? No. Oh, great. Well, I'll say Depot Bakery then because just purely for the sourdough, I would just go down there, go fairly early in the day so it's fresh and it's not sold out and get yourself a sourdough loaf from Depot. But there are so many. You could go to Public for Cocktails, Psychal, you do amazing vegan bacon. Almost everything that Birdhouse make is absolutely beautiful. You know, Palm Kitchen, if I see I'm, I'm veggie, so Palm Kitchen is great. There are so many. You know, the Rutty, obviously, is a fantastic pub. And Bar Stewards, which has excellent beer, but I, I could go on and on. I go to Kelm Island a lot, but I'm going to choose... Depot Bakery, just for the bread. Next question is with the philosophical tone. If you had 15 minutes with your 20-year-old self, what would you tell him? Okay, with my 20-year-old self. Well, on a personal note, I would say go to the gym and start now because it gets much harder to get into like weights and things when you're older. And it's really good for your health, especially if you're spending a lot of time on a laptop or something like that. So I would say go to the gym. But I think I would talk to myself about startups as well and say, you know, as we discussed earlier about having you know less responsibility a bit more freedom fewer constraints less of a juggle maybe get into it a bit earlier maybe maybe but you know you like your your life is it shapes you doesn't it the roads that you take they shape you and I don't think I want to be someone else I quite like being me you know so even the hard times they they're character building aren't they and they they maybe give you empathy for other people who go through Sometimes and yeah, I think it's, it's it's been okay. It's been okay. I think maybe maybe I could have saved a little bit of time here, optimized my life a bit. I'll jump into startups a bit earlier, but yeah, other than that, yeah, just go to the gym and look after yourself. I think that's a very practical advice. I haven't heard it from anyone <laughs> from anyone yet because I mean I'm 23. I would go back and tell my 20 year old self to just eat a little bit better. Only three years ago, so I think that's. That's highly practical and it's highly important. So I it's so good for mental health as well. You know, the yeah. gym, like, you know, you're going to have a lot of stress in a the startup. There is just no substitute for exercise. Absolutely. No, moving every day should be something that everyone does. Obviously, ah. if, you're, if you're able to move. So I think that's very important that you mentioned it. And my next question is about a big, hairy and audacious goal for paper mill. What's my area of payment? Well, to build a high-impact tech startup in the north of England, something that, that, that has global recognition, you know, to people to... The idea of saying, why don't you use paper mill for that is as common as saying, why don't you use Dropbox for that or, or something like that. But So that's the, 
the business goal, the mission. But equally as important to me is to have people just love the product, you know. And if I if I'm sat in a cafe in a few years' time and I over overheard someone say, Oh, I love writing with paper mill, or have you seen paper mill? It's made my life a lot better. That would just make me so happy. Honestly, that would be so fulfilling just to to make software a little bit less frustrating and a little bit more delightful. David, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks for running the podcast and thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's a pleasure and I look forward to listening to the next one but one. <laughs> <laughs>